Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Glenn Gonzalez and Mike Woodfield. Uh, Glenn has over 30 years of real estate experience and has acquired over 4,500 units. And he wrote a book called Maintenance Man to Millionaire. And his partner at Obsidian Capital is Mike Woodfield. So it's, we're, it's a pleasure to have both you guys on today. Thanks so much. Thanks for hosting us, uh, Charles. We're really excited to be on your show and you know, got fun stories to tell. So it should be a, it should be a fun episode. Thanks for having That's us. What- yeah, sure, sure. That's what we're looking for. So t- give us a little background on yourself, both personally and professionally, before getting into and starting your current firm. Sure. I'll go first, and then Mike can um, introduce himself with his background, too. So I, you know, you mentioned my book, right? Maintenance Man to Millionaire, right? So I literally started in the apartment industry as a maintenance man, uh, you know, 30 years ago, uh, and on a larger property. And, and then um, got into site manager as a property manager on a small apartment complex and then later became a regional so i worked with uh, small companies and large companies so that one that i started with happened to be a fee management property management firm and then i later joined a real estate uh, investment trust a reit big one equity residential Uh, and then uh, after that i joined from the property management side to the asset management side on the ownership side mm-hmm. as an asset manager. And then have also in my career owned my own property management company, actually two of them. Uh, one that uh, I started with a friend and then um, he kept and I moved on. And then another one that I grew. And then when we started selling our portfolio, uh, sold that property management company. <laughs> and oddly enough, it's, we're going to, Start a new one <laughs> in backyard. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's crazy that I want to be in property management. I really dislike property management. It could come out in this show today. Stay tuned. But anyway, <laughs> so I've worked in all aspects of the property management. And then about seven years ago, started getting into the ownership side. And then we'll, we'll jump into that. So that's a little bit about nice. my background. Awesome. Mike, what about you? Yeah. Um, well, my uh, experience is a lot shorter than Glenn, so this won't take as long. But uh, I actually worked for Glenn for about four years on the asset management side. Um, we did about $300 million, um, in uh, real estate under ownership. Um, that included about 30 or $40 million of renovation work that we did and uh, millions in value add. Um, and we sold at a good, healthy average IRR of above 35% um, in that time period. We did great. We did pretty well. Um, Investors were very happy. So at that point, I said, hey, Glenn, you're rich now. I want to get rich too. So, you know, we partnered and we've done about a thousand units together. Yeah. So um, we're doing really well. And Glenn is the best mentor anybody could ever ask for. Um, He's really taken me under his wing and taught me everything on the operations side that he knows over the past five and a half years and and now more recently on the ownership side and as far as you know financing and acquisitions and underwriting you know we're diving deep into that right now so um anyways that's a little bit more about mike he uh, graduated from the university of uh 
Utah U- State University. U- excuse me, Utah You're State. I'm went to the University of Utah. I'm yeah. a I'm a Ute. He's an Aggie. Yeah. And then he's recently um, just about finished his CPM designation courses with Iron. Okay. So pretty exciting. Yeah. Mike's really figured this industry out and is doing quite well. So it's kind of fun to work with him. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I didn't say anything no, nice you. about you. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Hey, you probably don't have much to say. Glenn's so the best. Yeah. yeah. You, said, as you are. You're yeah. great. Yeah. You're greatest. So anyways. So what do you, you guys are developing stuff. You're buying multifamily. What is your current uh, investment strategy and criteria of what you're looking at? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so let me just start with, you know, value add, right? We've typically been value add players, buying properties, renovating, like Mike said, and selling them for a profit. Well, here locally, we have found that if you dig deep enough, you can find some some dirt and and you could build from the ground up at or close to the same cost that we're buying 1980s product for and then renovating. So if the price points are kind of the same, then why don't we just stop renovating old product and just build new? Right? And, and so as a result of that, we're building a 50 unit ground up, uh, an 84 unit ground up, an 81 unit ground up uh where else we got 160 unit and then a 340 unit that's right yeah so you know we got five development deals uh underway plus our corporate office is a ground up new construction build as well so i guess we've turned or evolved due to the changing of the times uh from renovators and and guys to developers Interesting. And where are those prop, uh, properties? Are, I imagine, I thought you had one of them in Austin. Is that correct? Or that's outside correct. of Austin? Yep, that's correct. So um, just north of Austin in Leander, we have two of our properties there. Uh, one's right across from Leander High School. Uh, the other is out in Taylor, Texas. So it's, where is that? East of, East, yeah. of Austin, about yep. 30 miles. Yep. About 25 miles from, 25 minute drive from the new uh, Tesla head. Uh, yeah. that's going new Tesla headquarters. So, yep. And those will be, you know, new construction, but they're going to be condominiums for sale. And although there's 81 of them, we already have reservations for like 24, 25. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, those are, they're all in the, and then Liberty Hill are, are the larger ones, the 150 unit deal and the 340 unit deal. And those are just North of Austin, about 20 miles. Okay. Interesting. All right. So uh, you guys are starting a, a third property management company, even though you hate property management. So how's your property management done now? Is it like, are you all third party management? And why would you bring that in house if it was something that uh, not, yeah. not despise, maybe that's the wrong word, but dislike? Well, you know, when you say I hate property management, that's kind of an understatement, you know, <laughs> I would have to put a really, really, really in front of that uh, statement. Yeah, I really, really, really hate it. Man. Um, Maybe you're the wrong person to answer this question. Why are we doing this? So, you know, historically, Glenn has run his own property management, but been quite successful doing so. The advantage to having your own property management company is you control the properties a bit more, right? You get answers quicker. You have more hands-on with the accounting and, and, and things like that. So it's advantageous, but it's not a, it's not a, you know, profit generating machine, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, pay you huge dividends like other businesses. It's, it's sometimes a loser um, and costs you money to run. So that's not our goal with it. Our goal in starting this is just to have more control over everything we're doing in business, which, you know, really the motivation for starting it is we're building so much locally 
that we really want to have our hands on. We have the economies of scale to start a management company yeah. because we own a lot of stuff locally. Historically, we've owned all over. So um, it wasn't as feasible, but yeah. And, and a couple of good examples that Mike pointed out, like if we wanted to do a rent increase on a property where we've got a third party property management company, we would call the regional manager and say, hey, it's time to raise the two bedroom um, rent prices by 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. And the regional's like, all right, let me get a hold of the property manager and let that person know. And then that person will probably review it with the leasing agent, then they'll implement it. I found that that whole process could take two weeks. Or more, right? or not happen, or yeah, or we never hear back, yeah. and then we get the next you know months reports and like how did the new rents go? I'm like oh, forgot to tell her. We got the same lost the lease. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Whereas if we have the management company, we skip all that. We go straight to the leasing agent. Like hey, start asking fifty dollars more starting you know this Friday right. this weekend, and then call us on Monday. And let us know how it's going. There's not so much red tape. No red tape, right? Because we own it. We we have direct relationship. With, you know, and of course we're not going to bypass the regional, but you know maybe the regional's sitting right beside us. So our decision to start a management company is going to be for the properties that we own here locally, right in our own backyard. They're about a twenty minute radius of us. We also own properties in Kentucky, right? But mm -hmm. we're not going to send our property manager or regional to Kentucky. Right. We'll use a local uh, property management company there that's well-versed. Likewise, up in Dallas, you know I mean? That was the got, market. Yeah, we got property management companies yeah. up in Dallas that we're happy with. And yeah, we have no interest in, you know, growing this massive property management company that has hundreds of thousands of units that, that you know, that's not well, our goal. We own 100,000 units. Well, that'd be yeah. nice. Then we'll do that. That'd be nice. But we need some economies of scale, right? We, you need that in this business. And so if we own one property in Dallas, you know, we would rather have a local uh, management company do that because I think they would do probably a better job, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah we're, we answered this loaded question. You'd be sorry you answered it. You know, why do we really, really hate it? You know, but like Mike said, you know, in property management, you collect the management fees. It gets eaten up by salaries, accountants yeah. and regionals and stuff. Yeah, marketing. But yeah, there's no money in it really per se unless yeah. you thousand units or more then you're making a profit margin but by that same token if you're to that level you want your regional manager to cover 10 properties right. not five because mm -hmm. that cuts into your profitability as a property management company so you want to have you know fewer managers regional managers stretched really thin yeah well that doesn't really help your performance very well so no so when you guys are picking out managers, like you have Kentucky, Dallas, when you're looking for these third-party managers, what is, what is the questions that you're asking, the main questions that are most important, and how are you finding those? Are you finding it through referrals, I imagine? Um, so how do you find your property managers when you get third parties, and what are the factors, what are the questions that you're taking into consideration when hiring them? Yeah, you want to ask that first? Sure, sure. I mean, referrals are always huge, right? I mean, we have a lot of longstanding relationships at this point, so that's helpful. Mm -hmm. But, you know, always a phone call to someone that market, you know, um, the Kentucky deal that was brought to us by a property manager and said, hey, look, if you guys buy this, you just got to let me manage it. But I'm the connection to the, the seller, you know, off market. So that worked out well. But and we don't really know how well that manager is as an operator, right. but they brought us a 200-unit deal. <laughs> deal, right? Yeah. And we're like, oh, we'll buy that. But they've yeah. done great. And so. they've done great. So we got lucky there. Yeah. I would say the criteria and the questions we're asking are, um, if there's a regional manager that's going to oversee this directly, how many other properties do they have? You know, and where are they located? Because, you know, I've run into regionals before where they say I have five. I'm like, okay, that's manageable. 
but if they have one that's in Oklahoma and then they have one that's in South Texas and they have one that's in Las Vegas, Nevada, and one in Florida. How often are they coming? Yeah, to your how property? often are they coming to your property? Which is really what it comes down to is how much time, how much FaceTime is that staff going to get with that person? So that's very important to me. Yeah, yeah. So really, you're going to put a lot of effort and uh, ask a lot of questions to that regional manager. Yeah. Um, so that that I think is the best. They're the reputation. Yeah, yeah, they're the one driving the 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 asset management plan and and the the you know the business plan, right? Yeah. So. So you guys are partners. How, how important is it for choosing good partners uh, when you're getting into larger properties? And uh, how did you guys find each other? Oh, man. Oh, what a story. Decade so, ago. Yeah, I'll let you you end. I'll start. You start. Okay. okay. <laughs> First of all, I've had two bad partners, right? And so one of them was a gentleman that convinced me to come down and help run his property management company that he had just started. And he said he had 4,000 units and, you know, we chit-chatted, I get down here, he has 2,000 units and there's no management, anything. There's no, I mean, they're still faxing up payables on a <laughs> fax machine, you know, to the accountant um, and they have no controls at the site level. It was a disaster. So anyway, I got everything stabilized there and then come to find out that, um, you know, that, that partner of mine uh, did not want me to own any apartments. He just wanted me to be his partner on property management. So I went and bought an apartment complex, brought it into our management company. And, you know, his answer to that was, you can't buy apartments. I'm like, why not? <laughs> He's like, well, that's conflict of interest. I'm like, with who? He's like, uh, our management company. I said, but I just brought it to our property <laughs> management company, kind of expecting a thank you. Yeah. <laughs> instead of, uh, you know, oh, you're, you're fired. I'm like, well, you can't fire me because or partners. Well, that relationship ended. <laughs> I'm not allowed to disclose how it ended, but you know, I got a smile and I'm like, okay, well, whatever. So I'm out of there. Uh, the other one was a, a partner that I had just not too long ago and really just come down to ethics. You know, some people work in gray areas and other people are more black and white. And um, when I'm entrusted with investors money, to me, things are very black and white. And, um, uh, you know, there's a high level of trust. Well, if you have a business partner that likes to view other people's money with a gray area or with less concern than his own, um, then, then that's concerning. So that relationship ended uh, for, from, I would have to say for moral principles, you know, um, and I just didn't want to be associated with somebody that uh, maybe doesn't have the best reputation in the industry. And without going into too much detail, I'll tell you that, you know, lenders would call me and say, I don't really want to work with your business partner. Brokers oh, wow. say, hey, uh, you know, I'll give you some deals, but as long as I don't have to talk to your partner anymore. And then investors would call, like, I just hung up with your partner and he wants to renegotiate our operating agreement because we're selling this deal and I'm making a lot of money. And he said, you know, he's making too much money. And I'm like, well, sorry, he said that to you. I said, you can't change an operating agreement once you put your money in a deal. So yes, you did make a lot of money and that's my job is to make you money. That's what I do for a living. So, you know, those are two bad experiences that I had with partners. Now, how do you find a good partner? You know, Mike worked with me for four years and had the best, you know, he talked about an average IRR to our investors, but there was one deal that, what did, what did that one deal have in an 84%. Yeah, you know what I'm trying to go with an 84% IRR. Yeah. And, and Mike just really dove in and his work ethic 
was exactly like my work ethic. And, you know, talking to my wife, how can I have a business partner that thinks like me, you know, and will take care of the business like me? And Mike's that guy. <laughs> nice. I appreciate you, that. You can add to that well, as much as you want. Sure. That's <laughs> loaded. Um, yeah. Um, business partners are tough, um, especially if your interests aren't aligned um, or your morals, right? Which Glenn touched on. Um, Glenn and I's interests are very aligned very closely <laughs> and uh, we um, we have a hundred percent trust between one another I would never steal from Glenn and he wouldn't ever do that to me I'd shoot him with a gun he would shoot me <laughs> and you know also you can say that because we live in Texas right, that's right. I mean, yeah I mean you want to some of your California I have it right here. <laughs> some of your California <laughs> listeners may not appreciate that yeah. as much but yeah. I'm in Florida, man. That's the same, same thing. So, okay. okay, Florida, yeah, Florida, we're good. Right. Arizona listeners would appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but you know, where does the line and work ethics? The other thing, and and Glenn and I are always working. <laughs> you know, he'll call me at like one a.m. Hey, let's let's talk about this. You know, and things. But we're always there. You know, and uh, Glenn does a lot more FaceTime at conferences and stuff. And I'm back here handling different things, you know, yeah. but we're always working and in, in, in working together. And we understand that each one of us needs to have our role and do that role the best we can. And, and that's a great partnership. So, you know, our interests are aligned um, very close and um, we want the same outcome, you know, and that's to make our investors money and we make money, yeah. you know, so. And I think my mistakes I made in the past is I jumped into partnerships with people really quickly mm -hmm. that looked good on paper. Right. Uh, but, you know, talking about merging personalities and work ethics and all that, that takes time really to notice and pick up on. So I really did have the opportunity to watch Mike at arm's length for four years before yeah. he ever became a partner. We dated a lot before we got married. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, but it really is like you, you spend so much time together. We're not married, know. by the way, yeah. to all the listeners. <laughs> it came out really wrong, you know. We're not that kind of partner. Yeah, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> we should probably state that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you work so closely together that if you don't get along or can't have fun along the way, then it's brutal. I mean, you don't want to be around your business partner, then it won't last, you know? So you got to like each other. You got to work hard as hard as one another. And then also there's got to be some sort of plan for the future. You know, with Glenn and I, Glenn wants to retire. And so we have a plan that's 10 years down the road, um, 15 years down the road to where we kind of know that things will change and that's okay. But we talk about stuff like that, you know, and we're very open. It's part of our day-to-day -day operations is working towards a goal. Yeah, you know, for him to run the whole company and for me to step away. Although I'm a deal junkie, mm -hmm. and we both realize that my retirement may be what'd you say, 85, 80 yeah. Yeah, years old? You know? Yeah, yeah, so, right. He'll like, retire oh, when he's dead. Yeah, so that's okay though. He's good at what he does, so yeah. we'll, we'll keep him plugging away as long as he can. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I have enough time to interview you guys. <laughs> The um, so uh, Glenn, I heard something before that you um, you, you had a to keep a relationship with a broker, you like spent a hundred thousand dollars on replacing like a chiller system, oh, and you, yeah. bought, and you bought a bunch of uh, thousands of units from a partner of yours, another investor. So, how important was that? Like, is that reputation 
when yeah. you're in this small arena of multifamily uh, commercial real estate. Yeah. Well, I'm going to plug a little bit something. Here is my book, you know, Maintenance Man and Mayor. The afterword is uh, written by that same broker, right? So oh. here I am selling an apartment complex and about six, seven days before closing, you know, do, you know, of course, earnest money is already non-refundable, yeah. loans approved. Anyway, this gigantic chiller breaks. So we call and get it repaired. And they're like, it's beyond repair. Full this replacement. Full replacement is needed. Yeah, we're talking $150,000 or something like that. And um, we started getting bids and stuff. And, um, and, and, I, and my old business partner's like, dude, he's already non-refundable. Let's put a Band-Aid on it. He has no choice. I'm like, dude, that's not cool, right? So uh, I, I got the bids and I actually got an argument with that business partner. I said, well, we're going to just pay for the whole thing. He's like, oh, you should make the buyer pay for half. I'm like, dude, let's just pay for it. It's the right thing to do. So we paid for it, uh, ordered it. Uh, we paid 50% up front. And then we actually wired money into the title company to escrow the other half so that the buyer would have enough money at closing to pay for the other half of the chiller when it got arrived and installed. So I told the broker that and he's like, he was dumbfounded. He's like, are you kidding me? You know, he's like, I've been in the business for years and years and years. Big broker with Marcus Melchap. And he's like, these are things that people just take advantage of other people on. I mean, you, one, you didn't even have to say anything. Two, you could have just put a Band-Aid on it. Well, fast forward a little bit, right? I'm at a conference and we're going around the room introducing people to or introducing ourselves to people and this gentleman across from me it was his turn to stand up he's like i want to i don't want to really introduce myself i want to interview i want to introduce the guy oh sitting over there and he pointed at me i looked at him and i'm like uh oh <laughs> what did i do what did i say yeah. and do i know this guy <laughs> he's like we've never really met but i know of him he and he told the story he's like that guy i was getting ready to buy his apartment complex and he bought me a new chiller five days before closing and um, and he said, I've never really met anybody like that. Uh, you know, and then instead of sweating bullets, I actually had a grin on my face. I'm like, oh, so you're, you know, the buyer yeah. of Westwood. Yeah. You know, and he's like, I am. And I'm like, it's nice to meet you. It's really nice to meet you too. So I, I share with that story with you because in our industry, you know, we're going to come across people that we do business with or have done business with or might do business with. And is it really worth screwing somebody out of $125,000, $150,000 to pad my pocket on one deal if I'm going to do 30 more deals in this industry? Right? Yeah. So, yeah. question to your, to your listeners, like, what would you do if you were in the same situation? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Those chillers are really expensive. I was reviewing like 10 years ago a mixed-use property, and they had an old chiller in there. That thing was leaking. It had asbestos all around. You know, it was all like connected. I'm like, oh, my God. This thing was a mess. So those things can be, I mean, as you said, $150,000 are extremely expensive to replace and uh, in repair. So that's, it just goes to speak uh, how important relationships are. And I imagine you kept getting deal flow from that broker and uh, they returned your calls when you called them. <laughs> yeah, we recently are selling a deal. Okay, another story, right? Um, same broker. He brought us a deal that we won mm -hmm. and uh, probably weren't the highest bidder, but, you know, had... Cloud, we, cloud yeah. and reputation and ability to close and all that. So he really vouched for us. We won the deal. It's now under contract to sell. So of course you go back to the broker uh, and say, hey, you know, uh, ready to sell my apartments. Well, somebody gave us an unsolicited offer 
on our deal, which is a great deal. So we accepted it. And I called Al. I'm like, dude, no need to, to market this deal. Even though you gave us a BOV, you don't have to take it to market. He's like, what happened? I said, well, somebody gave us an unsolicited offer. Now, of course, that broker's like, dang it. There goes my commission. I'm like, well, hold on, brother. You know, um, you still earned it. So, you know, maybe we'll still pay you. He's like, you would do that? I'm like, sure, why not? Let's see if they close. If they close, and you know, it's to be determined, right? So it's like, if he closes, I'm gonna write the guy a check. If they don't close, he'll market the property and he'll go find a qualified buyer. So, you know, again, what comes around goes around. 100%. Yeah. 100%. yeah. Yeah. And there's so much slimy investors and people in this industry. It's amazing. It's just uh, every time you get into a relationship or meet someone and you're like, oh my God, there's just, uh, you know, so that's something that people go, they come, they go. I had my, my dad's real estate partners, uh, they screwed him out of some properties and stuff like this. And they disappeared like in the early nineties when all that stuff went down and he was left there trying to manage everything. So it's amazing how this industry is small and that stuff comes back around. So it is, yeah, you never burn a bridge in this industry. Yeah. You know, those guys all go out for drinks afterwards. And I can only imagine what it's like when a bunch of guys have drinks in their body and what they say, but you want it to be favorable and not bad, you know, yeah. you rather than do a cheers to, you know, Mike and Glenn for putting together a good deal rather than, do you know what those guys did to me? So stuff like yeah. that. So what are some of the biggest mistakes you guys have made as real estate investors? Oh, geez. That's um, a great question. Where do I start? Cause I made a lot, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, a, a common one has been that we will buy a deal and not really raise enough renovated money for mm -hmm. the renovations and still hopeful to get big rent increases. So you really start cutting costs on what you fix. So you got a property that may or may not look as good as it ought to or should. Um, and it makes it more difficult to get the rents. If you don't get the rents, then you don't have the NOI. If you don't have the NOI at that cap rate, you're not gonna get your exit sales price. So that's common. Uh, I learned along the way to always raise an extra money as a rainy day fund. Mm. Right. So yeah. that's been a that's Have been, some cushion. Yeah. I mean, there's always something that comes up, you know, like that chiller, for example, or a pool, right? You might buy something, everything works just fine. And then six months into it, you find that the foundation uh, has settled or, or, you know, has slipped a little bit. So then you got to go put some money in it. You and, and things always come up in real estate, right? You, mm. the only thing I could tell you is you're going to be surprised by something if you own real estate. Yeah. Well, I never had a rainy day fund until like not too long ago, I started raising extra money as a rainy day fund. And, and it's hard to explain to an investor, you know, why do you want this extra 150 or extra $200,000? What's that for? I'm like, I don't know. It's for the unseen. Do we really need it? Yes, we do. And he's, I don't know. But I'm like, trust me, you want that money in there. Because the last thing you want is for me to call you and say, I need an extra. I, I can give an example of that. This yeah, happened well, recently. Yeah. So uh, this property we're going to sell right now, um texas we had this big freeze about a month ago where you know power was out and the pipes froze and any exterior pipe on any building froze and popped um and in this case we had 48 of our 136 units at this property where the pipes in the laundry room broke and um that was about a hundred thousand dollar fix because you're calling plumbers out who are getting calls from everybody else and we had to do it because people need their laundry done, right? Yeah, so you need to call them tonight. Yep. You can't wait for a claim can't, to be processed. Can't wait, right? Yeah. 
So, you know, um, it just so happens that, you know, our insurance doesn't cover frozen pipe damage. It covers the water leak and the sheetrock damage that it caused, but not the frozen pipe. Well, the good thing is Glenn raised, we raised half a million dollars in a rainy day fund on that property. So that $100,000 fix that we're going to have isn't going to come out of cash flow. I'm just going to go back to our rainy day fund and tell our investors, hey, we'll just use this money. It's sitting there. And we did. And we did. Yeah. And we pay that vendor off. And, you know, other people probably what's happening right now is they're in the same exact situation as us. But there's zero cash flow now because they're trying to buy this uh, down on payment plans or this vendor is now going to lean their property because they have no way to pay it. Yeah. Um, so they're in a, they're in a mess, right? Or, or they're trying to go raise more money from their investors and say, Hey, sorry, we didn't plan for this. Yeah. And that's always tough. Yeah. yeah. It's always tough. And another good example of that, Charles is a, you may get a call from your lender and said, Hey, we just did a reevaluation of your escrows mm-hmm. and we noticed your taxes went up and so did your insurance premium. So, we now want to collect from you, you know, an additional X dollars every month along with your mortgage payments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a shortfall in there now. So uh, we're going to pay the taxes, but you need to give us, you know, an extra hundred thousand dollars, right. 150 to, to cover the shortfall on the property taxes. And some owners are like, Oh my gosh, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. And uh, some owners clients will actually go and get a loan for property taxes. Cause there's lenders that lend on that third party lenders. That's a big red flag. So I've learned that lesson too in the past where you don't have enough money to pay property taxes because they went up, uh, you know, and you can only appeal them so much. We appeal all of our property taxes, but you can only, you know, that will only get you so far. Right. So, yeah, hopefully those are some good examples of yeah, yeah. learning mistakes along the way. And, you know, having a bad business partner previously was a big mistake, but yeah, we already covered that. I think I think one common mistake that has been made and that I've seen over and over again on the acquisition side is you know just sharpening the pencil so much to make the deal mm-hmm. work yeah. that you really set aside reality. Yeah. <laughs> and you convinced yourself. Yeah, you just because a lot of times in syndication or in, in buying real estate, you you see these upfront fees or. Um, financing fees or whatever you're going to get acquisition fees. And those are very appealing, but at the end of the day, you have a business plan. Hopefully you have a business plan and that business plan has to be executed or else, you know, you're not going to make the money you said you were going to make. That's right. And so a lot of times, you know, people just have their heads in the cloud and they're trying to push a deal through, you know, I would say pull back from the table and put your emotions aside and say, can we make this work really? Um, at this underwriting, if you can, and the answer is yes, and maybe there's some risk there, and people understand the risk, right? Um, you move forward. But if it's like, it, no, we can't. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a nightmare. Usually, what happens with those properties is they become your biggest nightmare, and that's all you end up doing is taking care of those properties, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. they require all of your attention. Yeah. So, yeah, those are, yeah, in mind. Those are some great points. As we're wrapping up here, I have one more question before we get your information. But um, what do you think are the main factors that uh, have contributed to your guys' success? Good looks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty good looking, dude. You have a good, nice personality. Yeah, good, good looks. Yeah. Uh, relationships, yeah. really. I mean, I, I share this story in my book as well, but there's a gentleman named Ed that he and I were kind of friends for about 10 years, right? And I joked with Ed and I said, hey, look, if you ever want to sell your company, 
he had a property management company, call me and I'll buy it. He's like, I'm never going to sell. Well, he's right. Cause I, we had that conversation when he's 70 years old, right? He's probably never going to sell, but he turned 80 and something happened. And he called me. He's like, Hey Glenn, you know, we've always chatted over the years and would you be interested in buying my company? And I said, yeah. And so what came along with the property management company were eight apartment complexes up in DFW. And I said, well, let me look at them. And I looked at them and I said, here's how much I'll offer you. And it was at the current cap rate on his current in-place rents. And he said, that's very fair. We'll do that. And we shook hands. Then we papered it. Um, I was actually the broker that brokered it. So there was a lot of brokers that were upset. And um, we bought those deals. We had to raise $22 million. Wow. And that was a tall you know, equity raise. And he was a kind seller. He let us stagger those eight apartment complexes over a six month period of time. So we could have the opportunity to work on, you know, deals at a time and get them over the finish line. We went to two different crowdfunding platforms. We went to a private equity firm and then a family office and got the money from different sources, but ended up closing all those deals. Uh, and as a result of that, we've made a lot of money. You know, he talked about one of those was an, what'd you say it was an 82 or 84 IRR was one of those deals wow. worth. And to put it into perspective, we were buying these apartments for 45,000, 50,000 a door and selling them for, you know, 75 to $80,000 a door um, recently and made a lot of money for our investors and a lot of money for ourselves too. So that came from a relationship, Charles. I mean, it was a 10 year, a decade of just being friends with somebody shared with you the stories about some of the brokers that brought us deals because we did the right thing. That relationship has paid dividends on two or three deals. So, you know, I would have to say relationships for me. Yeah. And, and good looks. I mean, good looks get you long <laughs> ways much all over. Man. Mine's about <laughs> but I'm old and he's young. So that, that's part of it. So. Yeah. I, I, I would say definitely relationships. I, I, like I'll go back to, always working, being the hardest worker in the room, if you can be, and, and being dedicated to learning the craft. For me, a big thing is like, always be learning. You know, don't, don't be the guy that has to be the smartest guy in the room and never ask a question because he's afraid of looking dumb. Um, I ask questions constantly and learn something new almost every hour of every day. And so I guess my success is I can attribute to the fact that I've been teachable and I've been able to learn a ton from like, like Glenn or other people that I've met. And, um, I have great people helping me along the way. So, um, a little bit of luck and, um, a lot of hard work for sure. So awesome. Yeah. Those are fantastic points. So how can our listeners learn more about you and your guys' business? Um, our website, obsidiancapitalco.com. Mm -hmm. uh, both Mike and I are on there. Uh, it's got our contacts information on there. And we have an investor portal that yep. you can just log on and sign up there. And you can become a part of our distribution list when we have deals that come out. You okay. can click on them and see if you want to invest. They can buy my book, Charles, okay. Made a Millionaire on Amazon, right? And uh, it's got a bunch of secrets in there. Great, <laughs> great stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. I will put links to your company and then also to the book. And I want to thank you guys for coming on today. Thanks, Charles. You are so awesome for having us on your show. We appreciate we, it. Man. We loved it. Had a good time. Hopefully, <laughs> your, hope your listeners didn't get frustrated all over the stories. <laughs> no. right? 
<laughs> a lot of great information, and uh, hopefully we guys can meet up again sometime face-to-face -face, uh, when everybody gets back on the road. So. Okay, sounds good, man. Thanks, Talk Charles. to you guys later. Bye. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.